0: Cliffcentral.com. The Daily Maverick Show on cliffcentral.com. Good afternoon, you're tuned in to The Daily Maverick Show. Today you have me, Greg Nicholson, with you, your usual host, Kingsley Kapuri. Um, I'm not quite sure exactly where he is, but I assume he's off saving the world and... Doing his sort of nine to five job, which is uh, helping young people and, and sort of youth and skills development and leadership development. What a week it's been in the last week. I on Thursday and Friday I was in the Eastern Cape. If you're reading Daily Maverick today, you might have seen an article I did on Net One, the social grants uh, company who distributes it through their through their company Cash Paymaster Services. And I won't mention which telecom company I'm with, but. I did not quite have much reception over there. And so I wasn't really catching up with the news and everything that was going on. And it wasn't until I got back on Friday afternoon that, um, I found that everything had just sort of changed. Everything was hectic, I think. So sort of, we saw some of these Gupta leaks coming out last Sunday where the Sunday Times and City Press had, uh, had dropped a number of sort of exposes on, on these issues. Um, and then when we got back, uh, I came, I came and arrived and saw the Daily Maverick, uh, our investigations unit, which was recently launched, called Scorpio, along with bungane the independent, uh, um, not 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 for profit investigations unit, had dropped a whole lot of new information, and and it turns out they have a much much larger database of um, information, emails from from the Gupta family and and their associates. So today um, we're going to start off by jumping into some of those issues and looking at the Gupta leaks their impact some of the investigations around them then after that we're going to look at the issue of of feminism in different languages so we're going to be speaking to some women who have put together a Setswana dictionary recently and finally we're going to going to jump up to Kenya where there's a sort of David and Goliath story up there where um, a new um or, or, a new case has seen quite a small, small sort of group of people up there really take on the government and win. But first of all, I'm joined by Ama Bungane's uh, Craig McCune. So um, I think one of the key things that we have to sort of talk to Craig about is where this information came from, what they've been doing with all this work, how long they've been working on it, and what impact this is actually going to have. I know a number of my friends and, and sort of fellow journalists have felt a little bit overwhelmed with everything that's came, coming out and found it hard to follow. All of this information, and so I think we're going to put that to Craig in just a moment. And I'm told we have him on the line. Um, so I think w- w- one of the big stories I think that first came out that we led with in Daily Maverick, that was prepared by that, that, that was prepared by um, um, prepared by Amabungana and Scorpio, and we led with it on Thursday morning, was this issue of of how much Gupta Family Associates made oh, off off some deals with Locomotives, and it's just incredible the amount of money that was involved there. So I think, yeah, one of the key things is that we've seen, and as we spoke to Ranjini last week about these issues is, and this was before all of the huge trove of information came out, was that we've long held suspicion and there's been a lot of proof and allegations against, um, against the, the Gupta family and their associates. But with these emails, we can really see how far the tentacles spread, the tentacles of, of, I think the word state capture can be overused sometimes, effectively what it is, it's the Gupta and their associates, how deep and broad their networks are within government, and now I think I'm told I've got Craig on the line. Craig, can you hear us?
1: I can hear you perfectly.
0: Okay, fantastic. So great to have you, sorry about that. Um let's let's jump into it straight away, I think. You know, there's so much information coming out with these Gupta leaks, so much to read. Um I think there's there's some of us sort of who don't know how to make heads and tails of these issues just because we're so inundated and overwhelmed by all this stuff. So for you who've been working really, really, really closely on these issues, what are some of the most important stories, like perhaps one or two that have really come out so far that that really stand out for you?
1: Hmm. Um well, there, there there are many that are important, but be, even before important stories, I think it's uh, it's it's really important just to to get all this information out there. You know, we've been working on hypotheses basically over, over month, months and years about the Gupta's relationships with government, with little you know stepping stones here and there of evidence to to support them, um, and and that that evidence has made those hypotheses stronger and stronger and more more and more plausible, and now it's really really so, so for many people, it's a kind of fatigue for me too, and, and for, for many others who can't keep up with the stories and try to make sense But, but you know, one thing is true here: yeah, that that's good Gupta's had an amazingly close relationship with from politicians to lowly officials, and and all through that, you see you see those official politicians um passing confidential information to the, the Guptas, passing on emails, passing on government documents, flying to Dubai, flying to India, staying in expensive hotels. What, the, what these trips to Dubai and India are for, we're not sure. We've, we've seen at least one government official opening a, a, a bank account in Dubai on, 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 on one of those those trips, and so that raises obvious suspicions of, of bribery. Mm-hmm. Um, None of which really answered your question, but to to go to what some of the the most important stories are, that last one I referred to with the bank account that makes me think of Transnet. Um, mm. It's the most it's the most astonishing story of corruption that I think I've I've I've, I've ever looked at. The way that that Transnet put out its um, its locomotive tender to buy one thousand loads for fifty billion rand, and it's you know just before that the the board was replaced by by Lynn Brown with with you know a, 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 a long list of people with with all sorts of links to to the guptas um you know m- meanwhile th- th- those people who who are as closely associated with and working for the guptas are sitting on the Transnet board you know handing over tender documents and fundraising documents to the guptas through investment companies and ultimately you see, we we end up with seeing Evidence of actual kickback payments: um, billions being paid from from China, one of the one of the big uh, locomotive contract winners, from China to Dubai, um, and it's, it's all quite obviously linked to, the, to this tender. So, for for every every uh, locomotive that the Chinese company built, uh, 20% of it, 10 million rand, got paid over to the Gupta's. Mm. Um, <laughs> that's that that's i think one of the most astonishing stories i think now i'm sitting sitting here my eyes are looking at this um timeline that i'm putting together of another big deal in government that was done you know involving a company linked to the guptas and there would there have been denials all all around but now we see you know key officials and politicians are are whilst governments fighting whilst whilst honest officials are trying to stop this obviously other officials are, are Flirting with and sending documents to the Guptas all along. It's just it's the most unseemly disgusting thing I've seen.
0: I think for, for me personally watching this stuff, that Transnet story was astonishing because, you know, you have a lot of people on social media saying, oh, there's no evidence of wrongdoing or no evidence of this or that. But then if you look at how you guys laid out that story, it, it very intimately and very closely sort of shows how, you know, a multi-billion rand corruption deal was done.
1: Yes, um,
0: but I mean, <laughs> so, so, no, no. To, to the extent that we... Hmm? Uh, uh, no, I was, was going to say, before before we get there, let's actually start with um, this leak being something like, is it 200,000 gigabytes of data? It's between 100,000 and
1: 200,000 hmm. files, if I'm okay. not mistaken.
0: So how on earth do you begin to process something like that, and how much have you actually been able to get through?
1: I, I can't exactly um, you know it's been a, a, a mad scramble. We were, we were setting up carefully planning carefully to go through this rigorously and systematically, but then, then we got beaten by the Sunday Times and city press who who came out with, with, with um, a small portion of the trove, but as small as it was, it was a huge indictment with some massive stories that came out of it so then we've just kind of thrown ourselves at it we 've got some strategic that we are interested in we and we're asking those questions of the data but then we've got other things that we've picked up on whilst scrounging through the data that are important so those have become strategic we as you know have teamed up with Scorpio from the the Daily Maverick we've also teamed up with News 24's investigative team so you know we're sitting in our various offices around around the country yeah. you know throwing ideas at each other research we WhatsApp groups, and we have brought in some data experts to try and help us sort everything a bit more accurately. Mm-hmm. And lastly, we are still working on making the data available to to other journalists through through a, a channel, um, and yeah, that that we hope will will increase the meaning and value of, of this information to South Africans.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell me about the choice, uh, as to what to publish and when. Um, you're going, to, I assume you're going through this information, you're picking up things as you go, you're pulling together different threads and tying them into, into what, a, a context that you know and, and also some of the other documents that you find. Um, but do you just publish everything that's important or interesting when you think you've got a complete story? Or sometimes do you want to try to wait and publish the most heart-hitting information to have a harder impact? How, how does this sort of thought process go?
1: It's, these are really difficult decisions to make because uh, we're we're highly conscious that as we are working on a story and throwing all of of our time and and energy trying to pull their beautiful masterpiece some other journalist in, in another competing organization is probably working on the same thing and is probably going to scoop us. So there's this anxiety mm. pervades everything that we're doing. But, but it doesn't really matter um, to, the, to the extent that we've been scooped on various angles and it's happened a lot. Um, we've, we've realized when the, when the stories have come out, well, okay, so they, they, they beat us on the, on, on the first thrust of it, but they missed this, that, and the other thing. They also missed that angle over there, and we can add so much more value over here. Certainly, at Amapungani, we are better at working slowly and more more methodically through things. So we're trying to just focus in on our strengths. You know, we we're, we're, we're quite quite aware that that a strong sense of Gupta fatigue must be setting in by now, okay. but amongst many readers. So you know, our our, our choice hopefully is to just slow it down a bit, um, slow down the pipeline of stories a bit, focus on our quality uh, of, of 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 research and less on the speed. Um, and yeah. Mm-hmm. so it goes and of course, of course we, as ever we must always focus on like strategically the most important published stories but at the same time we are also looking for options to you know stories that, that leaven the the, the, the offering, so it's not it's not all, all super dense. You know, there's some some lighthearted things which are coming through, and today we've we've discovered some hysterical things which will hopefully be be published in the in the days. Maybe you know less astounding than complicated bribe agreements, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, ho- I hope the one that we've just just found is is, is turns out to be as funny as it looks. Um, you'll you'll know soon.
0: It, it it does seem that we're just getting an astonishing amount of information and, and there is some rather interesting or just bizarre stuff that's coming out. So even, I think it was um, City Press and perhaps Sunday Times as well, um, published something about uh, Durazani Zuma's emails with um, different girlfriends he has and things like that. So it's sort of bizarre, all these weird things that are coming out. But let me, to, to get back on track, um, when... The, the idea you have of, of putting all this information up on a, um, sort of with, within sort of an international database and an offshore or multiple offshore, um, databases so that it can't get stolen or, or hacked or, or it's not compromised essentially. Then the other issue of when, when the editorial Amabungane and Daily Maverick Scorpio put out, you seem to highly emphasize that the whistleblowers who helped you um, receive this information, I assume could be at risk, so I'm wondering now that the stories are coming out and they keep on coming out, what has been the reaction? Have you been threatened? have have you seen some of these potential risks um, spring up?
1: To the best of my knowledge, I haven't come across any anything about those risks, but as far as the sources go we operate on a on a, a need to know basis that's one of the, the better ways to pr- to protect them so you know i don't i don't have all of that first hand information um but i'm not aware, aware of any risks the most the most uh, shady thing i've seen is constant references by government departments people and the hawks themselves saying that they they're mounting an investigation and by the guptas mounting an to try and establish the veracity of these emails which sounds to me like a euphemism for Hacks and raids uh, huh. of of our information, but that hasn't happened um, as far as I know. I, I, I might not I might not know about a digital hack, but you know that that hasn't happened as far as I know. Um, so no, I, well, I haven't seen any sign of that. And I'm very happy to say that. And I hope mm. it carries on that way.
0: Would would it be a problem if you were to share some of this information? You know, with them um, with sort of the hawks or even crime intelligence or something like that. Is, is that a risk, I'm, I'm thinking? So if, if they want, were to hack you, I wonder how, as long as they don't steal the information, would it pose any sort of risk if there was perhaps an inquiry set up and they asked you to share this information with them?
1: Look, if if the Hawks were to walk in here right now and take all of our data, um, the biggest risk is being able to triangulate to the sources mm-hmm. um, and going going after them. So that, that's probably the, the, the main problem. The secondary problem I think has been, been averted and that is for the data to be taken away so that no one can report on it. That, that can't be done anymore. The horse is bolted and the data is everywhere and it's offshore. So that's not really a risk. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, as far as sharing the data with authorities goes, I don't think we've actually formed our official position on that, but generally we, we do not do that. We are journalists who work for, the public and for, for, our readers. So we, we make the information available to them and we don't want one day when we try and um, get sources to, or potential sources to speak to us on stories for people to, to, we don't want to talk to you because you are accomplices with X, Y, Z authority, mm-hmm. be it the, Hawks, the FBI, the CIA or Mossad or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, so we're not, we're not working for them. They must do their own jobs. We're, we're telling stories for our readers. And that's usually how we would uh, mm-hmm. think
0: about it. Now we mentioned a little bit before about the big picture of this where where it looks like the the Gupta family and their associates have their tentacles across many state organizations um and how how compromised certain ministers are um how compromised certain s o e leaders are. But one thing that seems to be missing from this is the president's hands on, on, on any any of these sort of allegations. We obviously saw there was that one report where there was a draft uh, letter requesting um, residency um, in in the UAE. There was other claims that he had this weekend that he actually has a house in Dubai. Um, but otherwise, it seems that his hands, he seems to be fairly distant from any of this information. Are you getting the same sort of sense?
1: Um, yes, absolutely, and that could be for a few reasons. Um, one one reason might be that he has nothing to do with any of this. That his son and his friends, who employ his son, are running around using his name to to influence officials and and using using money to bribe officials. But but he's got nothing to do with that, and his failure to act against any officials and politicians who, who have been obviously implicated is, well, it's, it's unfair of me to say that that's, that's one, that's one possible explanation. Another possible explanation is that, um, he has good knowledge of, of intelligence and counterintelligence operations and the importance of not committing things to writing and the importance of using, using cutouts and, and, and middlemen and keeping his hands clean. Or maybe there's another explanation that I haven't thought of.
0: hmm. Um, do you think through these leaks so far, at least the stories that's come out so far, we have enough information to criminally prosecute certain individuals? And and if you do think so, can you tell us who? Um,
1: um, it, that's quite that's quite a quite a scary question for, for me to answer mm-hmm. without without thinking it through very very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to to accuse somebody of of criminal conduct, but some names that come to the top of my mind are Anoj Singh at Transnet and Dan Mancha at Denel. There's very serious against, evidence against them. them too. Um, uh, some some top officials at at Home Affairs, um, the advisor to Minister Gigaba, who is now also on the Denel board also has very, very serious questions to answer, whether or not it's prosecutable, um, whether or not they can be charged criminally. I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, so I, no. I, I better not venture an opinion there. But but those and other people have very, very serious questions to answer about their conduct.
0: Now, we're hoping today to chat to you a little bit more about the investor sort of investigative journalism behind some of these issues, but we don't quite have time. So let me just finish with... I know, I'm sure you've seen that, you know, some American publications like the New York Times, Washington Post, they've received a boost in public support and subscribers after receiving sort of strident criticism from President Trump. I was wondering if you as Amabungane or or if you've seen any sort of other sort of similar movement in, in South Africa where there's a rising support for such organizations, for strong independence and critical journalism um in the face of obviously your ama and many other news organizations are constantly criticized by um the guptas media outlets by mkmva and so on and so on do you s- see any sort of sense of rising support
1: um yes Jimmy mani sorry Mzwanele mani and Andila kutshama to to prominent Gupta supporters are in fact our very best fundraisers. <laughs> every time they launch an attack on us on Twitter, we 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 get a get a flood of of supported mm-hmm. donations through our through our, our Give and Gain channel, where the where the public can can donate money to support us. Um, uh, and yes, every time that we publish a, a a big story, we 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 get a flood of both that kind of support, but but you know. Almost more, more importantly, moral support coming in on social media and messages from from everywhere, and we get we're getting a very visceral sense that as people become more frustrated with with our our, our governments and its its apparent inability to to uh, act on this kind of information, people are turning to to journalists more and more and are, are supporting us in a more Profound way than we, we, we've we ever felt before just in terms of my, my anecdotal interactions and my, my watching of social media That's what I see, you know without without a credible police without credible hawks without a credible national pr- prosecuting authority What we seem to have left are the courts importantly uh, Civil society and and, and journalists to, to hold back a tide of corruption those those who are, are incredibly frustrated seem to be rallying behind journalists and now oh, that 's important support
0: i, I couldn 't agree more Craig McCune from Abbounet. Thank you so much for speaking to us and we 'll be following your reports closely
1: Good thank you Craig.
0: cheers bye 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 You might have noticed i in that interview I meant a couple of uh, i said a couple of times about almost the Gupta fatigue and scandal fatigue and um, with a number of people I've spoken to, there has been a key sort of issue, you know, as since these reports started coming out in City Press and the Sunday Times, they've almost been nonstop. And now we're getting so much information, like I said, on on pictures Durazane's girlfriends, um, Durazane Zuma's girlfriends sent him from um, Ace Mahershule's son and his involvement from all these high, high sort of... um Allegedly corrupt issues, perhaps at the, the state owned entities. Um, and it's nonstop. And I know it's, ex- it's extremely hard, I think, for a lot of people to keep up with all this stuff to, to continue to read the array and the range of, of articles that continue to come out, given that we only have number one, so much time in the day and number two, that there are actually other, other stories and issues that we have to focus on. But. I think it's important to remember that from a news consumer's perspective that we have to continue to try to engage as much as we can with some of this stuff while it is, um, it's not sort of flowing, I guess it's it's pouring, you know. Um, we have to continue to try to get through what we can and try to share the information and sort of weed out what we think are the most important facts and what what, what are the most important issues that we have to take forward because... It looks like this is a crucial time in the country where not only is, has there been before these emails came out, but there has been a rising tide of people who are willing to confront, um, certain nef- uh, nefarious activities within, within government, within the ANC, also within the private sector. And, and a lot of people talk about this sort of idea of a turning point moment in the country, but, I don't know if turning point would be the right word, but it's, it's, we're definitely seeing a rising tide of change and we're going through one of those, one of those eras where things are ready to move. They're ready to change. Things might seem like the Gupta family, um, certain politicians, uh, certain government leaders and businessmen will never have a day in court or they'll never face justice. But without a doubt, it seems to be right now that, that we're going to, um, 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 we're going to see some very large changes in the country. And we have to remember that we are going to an ANC conference this year and we are going to um, be electing, most likely, electing a new ANC leader. And with that often comes these sort of tides of change. On the other, other side, I think it's important to remember from our position as news practitioners that we have a responsibility to find and release Um, the most important information rather than sort of drowning out the biggest and most important stories with um, sensation and scandal. And I think within that we have to somehow sort of find a balance there. So going forward it's going to be interesting times. The Show on
2: cliffcentral.com
0: you're back on the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. Uh, my name is Greg Nicholson, filling in for your regular host, Kingsley Kapuri, today. After a few, a few problems trying to get, get onto guests and, and make a few calls, we've finally got, um, our next guest on the line who, who, my mistake, it's actually going to be, uh, Lorato Palesa, uh, Madongo. Lorato, can you hear us?
2: Yes, I can hear
0: you, Greg. So for our listeners, Lorato is a social psychology researcher, and we were going to initially have you on with Ponzo Palani, who who we've had on before, who's a journalist um, with the Bekezisa um, unit at the Mail and Guardian. But, Lorato, you've done something extremely interesting recently um, regarding sort of decolonizing feminism and looking t- into these issues. You started a Sitsuana dictionary.
2: Oh, yes, we did. Ponce uh, and myself started penning down a few more. And just describing the words in our language, which Mm -hmm. is Setswana.
0: Mm -hmm. So, this is a Setswana feminist dictionary, and you've sort of the two of you came together, I, I think it was about a year ago, was it? it was about a year ago. So right. so why don't you and, and and for anyone looking for some of these some of these words and sort of how it's going and a bit of a introduction to all of this work by by um Bonzo and Lorato uh, uh, you can find that on I think on Daily Vox and Mail and Guardian both have an article there describing some of this stuff but can you tell me how this actually started um what to t- tell me about the moment this sort of projects began cuz it's you know quite quite original
2: Okay also, Greg, you know how people say it's just Twitter?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But for Ponzo and I, it's just Twitter. So what happened is um, mm-hmm. there was a page called Setswana Sabore. Okay. Um, it's strictly a Setswana-speaking page. So they asked a question, Hore, what is a feminist in Setswana? And the idea behind that, there was clearly an agenda behind that. You know, um, The idea was that we cannot have Botswana as feminists because that does not exist in the language. There is no uh, word for feminist in Sutwana. So I actually answered uh, that tweet, saying um, you know saying what a feminist in, in, is in Settuwana. And that started a conversation between Bonso and I, who DM'd me and said, you know what, I have an idea. I think we should do more about this because there's just so much uh, feminist knowledge or feminist terms that exist in English, but we need to sort of translate them into Sotswana. So we started the conversation, we started talking and writing down a whole number of words. And published them in the mainland and Guardian. So that's how it started.
0: So, um both of you it seems um according to what you've written, you reject the idea that feminism is un-African. Obviously, that's an argument we hear you know prop up sort of reasonably often. And in your oh, article you reference the the Dahomey Amazons of Benin. Are you able to speak yes. a little bit about, a bit about that?
2: Oh yes, um that was just an idea to demonstrate, you know, that there've been women movements Uh, in colonial times, even pre-colonial times. But it's not just about the Dahomey in the Amazon. It's also about the Mau Mau rebels in Mm -hmm. Kenya. We know that there were women involved in that. We also have a lot of uh, women who didn't necessarily identify as feminist, but the ideology was there. They were subscribing to the ideology, although the naming process was not in place. So we just wanted to squash that um, idea that this is, fo- this is foreign, this is new, but we wanted to show the role of women in the liberation struggle even before uh, pre-colonial times.
0: So given that, what is the role then of language in decolonizing feminism, and how does a project like this uh, make that a reality?
2: Um, You know, language is a very important tool that can be used to either exclude or, you know, and we just wanted to show that as young but on a feminist, we are saying we have agency and we're going to take language and we're going to confront the dominance of. You know, some of the colonial apparatus that is used in this instance, English, and we wanted to articulate and theorize um, black women's experiences and oppression using the Sotswana language in such a way that. Even somebody in the rural areas will be able to identify with this because mm-hmm. um, feminist struggle is not just for the elite. It's not just for people in the academia. It's for all of us. And if we're going to have solid impact, then we need to use language to not exclude the people. And we also need to use language consciously and deliberately um, to make impact, you know.
0: Can you take me through some of the practicalities of actually putting this together? So, you know, the idea of creating a dictionary for something or, or, or translating or finding new phrases or words for something, I think for most of us is sort of unthinkable or, or at least quite daunting. Did you, did you consult with language experts? Um, did you make new words or did you sort of merge and, and morph existing words or phrases? And, and what about the d- different dialects of Setswana? How did, how did you sort of break, w- work with them?
2: Okay. Um, we we actually just merged phrases, you know, mm-hmm. because one thing that you have to know about Satoana is we're not really into qualifying and naming things. We're a very descriptive language, you know, from just our greetings to everything. We're very descriptive. So it was more about describing what exactly that means. And... Mm-hmm. Um, the the dialects. I'm from Botswana and Bonto is from South Africa, so we share Setswana as a language, but it's quite different. But we allowed for it. We we were very intentional about not using because there really isn't one um, homogeneous Botswana. It's different. Even here, the tribes, uh, Botswana speaking tribes in Botswana, you'll find that the dialect is quite different. So we allowed for that. We also allowed for that, but it was quite difficult. It is quite difficult to task to <laughs> but we managed uh, we managed to make it work and we were hoping to put more words and you know expand mm-hmm. the the project.
0: Can can you take us through so we understand sort of the process of how how this works perhaps a a couple of the words or or perhaps even just one of the word and sort of the different debates you and Ponzo had together about how to formulate a set's a definition for that was there something that sort of you guys spent a while on where you really sort of went back and forth trying to right find the right uh definition
2: Oh yes definitely um masculinity was one of it Okay because masculinity you know that even in um social sciences there really isn't one word that describe what masculinity is. So we had to really um we we had to take little segments of the definition of what masculinity is in English and try to translate that into Sotswana and it was it was quite it was quite a daunting uh, thing to do but we managed mm-hmm. we managed to make it and we also had some difficulties in um, defining things like um, the the pronouns given to, you know, non-binary people that they use instead of the he or the she because we didn't really know how to go about it because in Setswana, we don't have um, gender-specific pronouns. Mm-hmm. There really isn't a he or she in when you speak Setswana. So there was that level confusion but we managed to have the conversation and actually come up with something concrete something that we are happy about
0: um I, I, even the, it's just, just so I'm looking at the list of words here. And so I'm a uh, white monolingual mono, 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 uh, male, but I can, <laughs> I, I'm still learning something from just going through this list because I didn't even know what words like kiriaki were. Um, and some of the others, but I, I'd really encourage anyone who's interested to check it out on the Mail and the Guardian or, um, it's also up on the Daily Vox, this article. But before I let you go, what is next for this project? Um, you said you want, you want to add more words. Is it sort of open to work with other people to add words? Um, do you want to one day work on building perhaps a book or a formal dictionary?
2: Oh, yes, definitely. would like to build something more formal. Uh would like to add more words, more phrases. And I think in the decolonial agenda, um, we could even have partnerships in future with um, other people Feminist from other African countries because we are all suffering from the same mm-hmm. um, excuse that we get from people who are trying to dismiss um, to dismiss our experiences with this line that oh because the feminist words do not exist in your language therefore it does not exist so it would also be a very great platform to sort of create those partnerships and networks and collaborations uh, across the continent. But it would also be very important to make like a formal dictionary so that it could also be used in scholarship, you know. Um, It could also be used to to reference, which is also just another um, topic in its own of who gets to be referenced in academic work and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. it's also about reaching... um, Reaching the furthest, furthest, even people in rural areas should be able to identify with what feminism is trying to do. So, yeah.
0: And so, sorry, I know I said I'd let you go, but just, I'm quite interested <laughs> in, how has the response been from your friends and family? Um, have you been starting to use these words and phrases with them? And uh, is it something that they, you know, that, that you find a marked difference as to if you were to say the English word? Um, yeah, what, what sort of the response?
2: Oh, yes, there's definitely a huge difference. Um, How would have, you know, when you're explaining a term in English and when you're explaining it in Setswana, for example, um, it's it's a struggle trying to explain something like social justice. Mm. But when you say it in Setswana, it's very, very easy to understand. It's really easy to understand. And the... The reception from friends and family and just social media has been very good um, with people obviously interested in this project because it, like we said before, it's trying to dismantle exclusion of the people from knowledge production through language. So it's sort of accessible and understandable and the reception has been really good.
0: Uh- yeah. Lorato uh, Paleso Mondongo, um, social psychology researcher and as well as your, who, who you were working with, Ponzo Palani, um, Ponsopilani. From, that's right, yes. from, from Mail and Guardian. Um, thank you so much for speaking to us and we'll keep on following your work.
2: Thank you very much, Craig, um, for the interview. And yes, uh, be on the lookout for more work.
0: We'll, we'll, we'll keep a close eye. Thank you so much. Well, um, extremely interesting there. I think a lot of, it seems actually after this this didn't seem to link directly into some of these conversations we've had about fees must fall and and the decolonization discussion that sort of arisen from that and has also been going on for a long time in other quarters, but without a doubt, it seems to have quite a close relation to sort of some of these important issues of decolonization and how how do we take it from things that are being perhaps raised um, as an urgent uh an an urgent th- challenge that we need to sort of tackle and start working through in society and just making it a priority to actually taking action and practical steps to implement decolonization into into our society our lifestyles our language um our relations and and it seems like this project is is one such that will take this sort of these issues forward um i think well one of the sort of interesting things that's that i've seen at least in the last couple of years is um some universities at least trying to so we're just talking about the fees Four conversation about decolonization and you see at least at least some universities trying to respond to this call of uh quality decolonized education um i 'm not sure how how deeply they 're trying to respond to it, but you do see some issues so recently there's there was a new center launched at the University of Johannesburg that that focus on um, african uh, epistemology and, and and knowledge systems and I think they 've got about um, ten researchers in there who who will actually be be working on issues of african philosophy um, uh, African knowledge systems uh, lo- local local medical treatments um, and, and and so on and they're the well, at least the university's pushing this forward as a strong sign of their commitment to um to these calls for decolonization i think it might just be an an initial step and i know there there might be a couple others at other universities out there i think it's an initial step but such projects and such focus on a stronger local content and uh, and an emphasis of local understanding local languages and pushing them um, I think is extremely, extremely crucial for, for us going forward as a society and, 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 and working on these issues together. So, unfortunately, we couldn't get on to Lucy Claridge today to talk about, uh, uh, the Yogiac people in Kenya who have won that sort of landmark, um, human rights, uh, court, court case. But hopefully we'll be able to speak to her soon. Um, don't worry, next week you'll be back with your regular host, Kingsley Kapuri, and hopefully some of these issues that I've experienced will be ironed out. Thank you so much for joining us. You can download the podcast, share it with your friends, and and always feel free to engage with us on Twitter at, at DMZA. My name is Greg Nicholson. I'll see you next week.
1: The Show on SwiftCentral.com